Canucks Central Tuesday. It is the eve of Bo Horvat's return to Rogers Arena as a New York Islander. Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw with you in the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. Busy show for you today. Justin Williams, Mr. Game 7 three-time cup champ he will join us uh now sportsnet analyst after 4 30 ian mcintyre the triple threat at five o'clock as we get you ready for bo's return to vancouver here today and uh that's going to be the uh, discussion point i mean we've got a tough act to follow yannick basically just called rogers arena and uh said to fans like boo the heck out of that guy when he gets there tomorrow every yeah. time he touches the puck Boo Boar Boo Boar Bo Horvat. Why is it so hard to say? Boo Bo Horvat? Bo Boar Boar. Boar? No, yeah. not Boar Horvat. It's like He's saying Boar. Bo Bo Horvat. Bo Horvat. Yeah, there it is. Boar on skates. Yes. yes. <laughs> like a boar on skates. <laughs> um I mean, listen, I'm not gonna tell fans what to do. You can do whatever you want. Honestly, like you go to a game, you are allowed to it's your boo, money. cheer. However boo. you're spending that money, whatever you want to do with it, uh, you, you are definitely allowed to uh, boo or cheer. Uh, obviously, uh, keep it within uh, respectable reasons. But yes, boo or cheer, it's uh, it's your prerogative. As long as you're not infringing in the uh, good times for other people. And like, yes. if you allow other people to you know not get into anybody's face and just whatever, just do whatever you want to do, right? Yannick is a Canuck through and through. He, he bled for that crest, right? Like he, Yes. He's a player who would do anything humanly possible to win a hockey game. And when he came a game away from winning a Stanley Cup and he really bought into everything there was to be a Vancouver Canuck, he's going to have some different feelings about this than, than most people, right? And I know some people are upset, but I'd say generally the the, the reaction to Bo is going to be over, pretty positive, I think. Yeah. I don't think the fan base is that angry at him. I don't think a portion of the fan base on social media is a reflection of how fans who are going to the game are going to behave when they see Bo. Uh, 650, 650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Tones, I'll be there cheering. Can't erase nine years because of one offhand comment. So uh, Tones weighs in. You can also weigh in 650, 650 if you're listening live to the show and want to have your take on Bo Horvat's return. It's, you know... It happened. Yeah. <laughs> the comment happened. Bo spoke about the comment and, uh, you know, didn't love that it didn't go over. It went over the way that it did with the Vancouver fans and ended up being more than what he was hoping for it to be and obviously walked it back a little bit. But he did also admit that he didn't love the way it ended for him in Vancouver as captain of the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah. I mean, it was also management that, that spoke public. Like it was Rutherford who mentioned, you know, publicly a couple times too about the situation, the nature of the negotiations. It didn't come from Bo Horvat's side. Is that something they're they're pointing towards maybe, or just a simple fact of they traded me? Yeah, you know, like they, you know, they never went because I, I do think the negotiations were like they happened. I don't think they ever got to a point where where it got hot and heavy. And maybe yeah. there, there's a feeling of you should have worked harder or you should have tried harder in terms of getting this deal done, especially because I'm the captain or whatever. And you can, I mean, he's entitled to feel that way. I mean, why wouldn't he feel that way? If you've been a captain somewhere and if you had been, 
playing here your entire career and you've been through some tough years, right? You may be wanting to be treated with some level of uh, reverence, right? And he... They didn't really get that. Like it's pretty clear as much oh, as they management, chose somebody else before to to they chose to sign somebody else before they signed Bo. It's clear that management liked Bo Horvat, yes. but they liked him at a price. And when it became pretty clear he was going to exceed that price and maybe yeah. even significantly, I don't think they thought twice about moving on from him. And I think moving on from him was also appealing insofar as it would allow them to create a new leadership group and a new culture with somebody else at the helm as the captain of the team. And when you're trying to move an organization forward and change it from the past, I think it was appealing when they realized it's not going to be cheap to sign him to move on and not only make a big trade to help your team, but also allow you to make a significant change to the core and the leadership group. It's, uh, you know, the way that it's played out, I mean, hindsight... (laughs) is right now making it very uh, easy to applaud the Canucks for the path they chose to go down as an organization, right? And every time you you try to do the math with the way the Canucks salary cap is structured and you're like, well, if you got to give $8 million to both Miller and Bo, it doesn't really work. Yeah. And... So they give Miller that contract. Bo goes on the heater. He's earning more and more dollars with every goal that he scores last year and also increasing his trade value. And, you know, I there, you know, as you mentioned, there was definitely some comments from Jim Rutherford that, you know, he wasn't afraid to share publicly of, well, either we're going to sign Bo or we're going to get a really good trade package for him. <laughs> yeah, it was very obvious. He's like, "Hey, if you do it on sign him the way he's playing, <laughs> this is great." <laughs> he couldn't couldn't hide his glee over the value skyrocketing. Um, you know, Patrick Alvine doesn't give that level of honesty. Not that that's a bad thing, but it's just, you know, it was uh it was surprising to hear that come from the Canucks president of Hockey Ops during I- a negotiation. And any negotiation, hockey or otherwise, like that just that stuff doesn't really come public. Well, usually, let me, let me make it clear. I love the fact that he said that. Yes, like I, I love the fact that you had a president, you have a president who's willing to say those things. And obviously, he's not speaking <laughs> as much publicly anymore. But I love that, and not just because it great, gives us great fodder. I think it's great to have some transparency about where you're headed as an organization. Yes, I don't think that's a bad thing, and I, I do think the way Alvin is handling the GM job has been good insofar as it's very quiet. Not a lot's coming out, which isn't a bad thing. You keep thinking. Hey, you want quiet. the team to be professional and business like on the ice that's gotta sort of reverberate mm-hmm. through the organization, I guess. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think he's coming through in, in that regard. But I think having a president like Rutherford who who was willing to be very transparent about where they were going with their head coach, with the captain of the team, with the direction of the organization. I think those are really good things. And as much as sometimes that that's hard to hear, maybe as a player, and maybe even as some fans who invest heavily and in, in wanting to keep players. I think it's a good way of showing your fan base where you're headed and where you, what your direction is. And they follow through on, the, on those things. They follow through on, hey, we need to have better structure. We need to change uh, how we operate day-to-day as a coaching staff and as an organization. We need to change the leadership. And they've changed all those things. And right now, it looks like it's working. Uh, a lot of our live listeners uh, chiming in. Um, this one comes from Scott B., Canucks certainly won the trade. Uh, Tony saying, let's cheer. Who cares? Be thankful that the Canucks didn't get stuck paying him. Daniel and Campbell, I would trade Bo Horvat for Philip Roenick any day of the week. And you know, that's where 
the hindsight of sort of the entire transaction comes in, right? You trade Bo, you get the first round pick, you get Atu Ratu, you get all these, you get Anthony Bovillia, you get what Patrick Alvin called three first round picks in the deal. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> which uh, I'm not so sure about that, but was it maybe an attempt at humor? Yes. And um, no, I get what he was trying to say. But then they use those assets and that cap space to go and acquire Philip Ronick. And you end up trading Bo Horvat essentially for Philip Ronick, a Anthony Beauvillier, and a fourth round draft choice in Atu Ratu. So it, it turns out to be a pretty nice haul. Now you have to go through a couple of moves to make it because the Islanders didn't have the right shot D that you coveted. So you just take the assets, take the cap space, allocate them elsewhere to the Detroit Red Wings and get the Philip Peronic, get the right shot defenseman that you so desperately needed on this roster. And it's like, we talked about it so much Sat, with how the Canucks were structured. You have Pedersen, you have Miller, you have Horvat. And in theory, they should be great. You have these three centermen that, should be able to win their matchups all the time, but it, it, it wasn't working. No, because they, they're still different. Yes. They're, they're, I mean, they were still the same. They needed somebody different. Horvat and JT were similar insofar as neither was great defensively. Both were good offensively, both good in the face-off circle. Neither great on the power PK, but both good on the on, on the power play. So it's like, okay, what's the difference here? Who's the guy yeah. that's, that's, that's a true two-way eights? Neither guy has really shown that. And to that point, JT hadn't played center full-time. You weren't even sure, is he actually going to be a center or not? But the bet the organization made was, we'll bet on the higher talent. Because JT's clearly the more talented player than The Bull production Horvath. has always been more there for JT than it was for Horvath. The question was, can he play center to the same level Bull Horvath can play center? The organization made a bet that he could. And and showing that he can so far, but what they but you can't also have three of those centers. And when it was clear that it wasn't a fit with Hyman them play together either, like even when Bo and JT had some success, just a, it's not just not a fit money wise. It wasn't a fit on the ice. No, and it wasn't great having JT and and Bo together. Even though at times, no, sorry, JT and Pedersen and Bo together. Even at times they played together, they were somewhat effective. But it wasn't a great combo. Same thing with Bo and JT. It just didn't quite fit perfectly in terms of how you wanted those guys to put, be put together. And you need to find a defenseman. What's yeah. your best way to find a defenseman? It's trade from an area of strength. Yeah. They perceived it to be the center position, their top two center positions. They were right. At least so far they have been, right, in, in making that assessment. You get a righty defenseman, a player at Horonix caliber. I think that swap makes perfect sense. In terms of why the Canucks made the decision on JT over Bo. I think was very layered, mm-hmm. but you know we we debated this so much over yeah. the past year and the past couple of years about you should always bet on the guy who's a higher level talent as long as you can you know rein in that stallion and that's kind of what Tockett's done with JT this year right like he's been a hard guy to have consistently locked in but if you do you see the type of force it can be well now we've uh, seen the best version of JT through these first fifteen games of the season and even going back to. Um, the latter stages of last season when he really started to become more of this two-way matchup center that the Canucks had been looking for. Yeah, and listen, I, I don't want to do the, hey, Bo's out of town and crap on him. Somebody texted in and said, uh, from Keith and Qualicum Beach, sat, you were down on Bo long before he left Vancouver. And it's true. Like, I was never as enamored with Bo Horvat's game as, as many were. I thought his greatest strength was scoring goals. And he, and he did a fantastic job his last year scoring goals at a higher level. Yep. But not a great playmaker. Um, not great defensively. Mm-hmm. 
And he's a guy who he can help facilitate play and, and drive play, but doesn't really drive play to the level you would want as a two-way force. I just look at a guy like that and say he's he's a clear second-line center. And for a clear second-line center with some faults, that's not even that great defensively, how much do you want to spend on that? Yeah. To me, that's not the type of player I would want to invest in long-term. So I'd rather you bet in on a player like JT who has that next-level talent, at least the level above where Bo is. He's a couple years older, but if you look at their mileage throughout their careers, they've played pretty similar minutes yeah. to this point of, of their career. So there's been a lot of wear and tear on both guys at this point. JT's obviously a couple years older. But the way JT can play, especially his vision, his ability to control play on the power play as well, there's so many other levels to his game and layers to his game offensively and just overall talent-wise that I would always rather bet on that over somebody who can score a lot of goals but isn't quite the player that people thought he was. And they desperately needed a right shot defenseman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, as much as uh, I wasn't the biggest fan of the trade when they made it, we all knew and all have known that they needed to find a right shot defenseman. And Philip Ronick has not only proven to be quite good, but he's proven to be a perfect fit with Quinn Hughes. And now you have what has been, so far this season, the most productive yeah. defense pair in the National Hockey League. Both guys are playing at over a point-per-game pace. It's worked brilliantly. And it's given the Canucks a lot of different ways to spread minutes out through their lineup and do some different things as the, as the coaches have, have worked with the defense by committee. It, it's really made them more of a complete team, right? Since they moved Bo Horvat and made this switch to to Philip Ronick. And it's part of the reason you're seeing some of the success that they're having this year. To which point, like, the trades worked out for both parties. Like The Canucks were able to use the assets to get something that they desperately needed to help mm -hmm. them get to another level as a team. And Bo Horvat got as big a contract as he could have gotten. Eight and a half million dollars. I mean, he's getting paid more than Rope hints. Nobody would have expected that when Bo Horvat was getting starting negotiations with Vancouver last summer, but he went out, scored a bunch of goals, got paid by the New York Islanders, and it's worked out for him. On the ice, maybe not so much for the Islanders right now. The fire the coach chance have already started in Long Island as well. But my point is, I mean, you look at this trade right now, and it's really worked out for both parties. Canucks have gotten what they've wanted. And Bo Horvat got the contract he was seeking. Yeah, I mean, and you know, credit Bo for taking advantage yeah. of, of his year, right, and having this massive season. Um, and you know, we mentioned the leadership stuff too. It gave the organization a chance to change things. We don't have to relitigate, you know, Bo Horvat as a captain. But here's the reality: is we talked about a team that had poor leadership. Oh, from from day one that Rutherford and Alvin came in, they talked about practice habits and standards and, and all those types of things. And it wasn't solely on Bo, but you're going to wear some of it when you're the guy that's wearing the seat. Yeah, and a lot of it falls on dysfunction in the organization, yes. you know, uh, bad management and years of turmoil and everything. And, and that obviously seeps through and there's only so much you can do as a leader. I mean, and those things do apply. But the reality is there are a lot of things that were lacking. So it's not like that was a massive success either way. So in terms of making that change, it made sense. As long as you realize you can't have, like, there was a price you wanted to keep him at. Yeah. And I think that's something that to keep in mind here. There's a price they would have kept Bo at, but as soon as that became unrealistic for them, they moved on. And if you look at what they're going to do from this point on, the moves that they might be looking to make. Yeah. For instance, look at Brock Besser in a situation. 
These guys, they showed they weren't going to be afraid of moving Bo yeah. Horvat, the captain of the team, right? Yeah. And I know people are, and we'll talk about Pedersen, yes, you know, and what what's going on with his contract situation. And there was an update by Frank Valley today, and we'll get to that. But people say, you know, Besser's friends with Pedersen. Can you can you do that? All I all I know is this organization wants to improve their team, and I don't think friendships. Unless you were talking about <laughs> Quinn Hughes yes. or like, you know, Pedersen or Demko or something. Like, unless you're talking about that, I don't think that's going to get in the way of the decision making. I think the only thing that's going to get in the way or really be the reason why Besser stays here long term or they trade him when his value is high, just like they did it with Bo, yep. is the number he's willing to sign for. Besser is, uh, so he's got a year left on his deal after this one at 665. Um, obviously off to a great start, 12 goals already on the season, part of that line that has been the matchup line next to JT Miller, and it's working brilliantly. You know, the, the, the bet the Canucks were sort of forced into making was like, hey, let's keep working with this guy and see if we can get him back to playing more like the player he was earlier in his career because there were no trade suitors out there for, Bo- uh, for Brock Besser. That put them into this situation but I just don't get the sense that this front office, I, I guess there's a few untouchables on this team, right? And we know who who they would be, Quinn Hughes, Elias Patterson. Yeah. Beyond that, it's, all right, we've got a value placed on this player. We have an idea of what we can do to make our team better. Um, can we move this player out to make our team better in this area or... However, that equation ends up working. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any player on this roster that they uh, they would be unwilling to move necessarily outside of those very few. No, and I think one of the big things as well is they've shown a willingness to make a move now that facilitates a move later. Yeah. And when you're thinking like that, you're thinking ahead, you're thinking of other possibilities, things that, that may become open to you. It, it's you understanding the assets you need to acquire what you want and how can we get those assets to get there. Maybe the type of player we have isn't what that team wants, but there's something we they want that maybe we can get for them to yeah. loosen their grips on a player that we really want to get away from them, for instance. Like Philip Hironik getting a first and a second yeah. and doing the Bohorbat thing. And and I think with, with Brock Besser too, how they handle his situation next year and beyond is going to be super fascinating. Yeah. The first thing they want to do, though, I think, is get Pedersen signed. And we heard today from Frank Cyril Valley about... Well, Patrick Alvin spoke at uh, the GM meetings in Toronto. Yeah. And essentially said that uh, they're chipping away at it, but uh, they continue to talk with Pedersen's camp. It was confirmed by Pedersen's agents. And so the negotiations go on. Uh, Chipping away at it means, to me, like, that they're still not very close necessarily, but kind of keeping tabs on uh, on the situation and, and where it might go from here because the Canucks know that it is a massive part of how they build their future, knowing what that number and what that term is going to be for Elias Pettersson so that they can start to figure out how they're going to build around it. Well, and that's going to really, the number that Pettersson is going to come in at is going to impact every other player they're going to sign. Yes. You know, um, outside of what they have to do with Demko and outside of Quinn whenever he comes up. But that number is going to shape what they may have left over for a winger, like Brock Besser, for instance. So what are you looking at the number for having a complimentary player? Are you looking to get that guy making six and a half, yeah. seven? 
if you're paying seven, eight plus, what type of player are you after? Can it help you in your Philip Ronick discussions as they pick up as the year goes on as well? Yeah, and how much you're willing to pay on Philip Hironik. Yeah. And the way Hironik is going, I mean, we're talking about a guy <laughs> who's, you know, we, we mentioned how his... Point comp- per game, right shot defenseman, don't come cheap in this league. Set. No, and like we said before <laughs> the season, his comparables were kind of in the, you know, six and a half yeah. per year, over eight years, 50-some million, you know, Damon Severson, 6.25, 6.5. That's kind of the range you were looking at for him. Unless he had a monumental season, and if he's going to be putting up 50-some, 60 points or whatever, then it's going to change that equation. But let's say, for argument's sake, that signing Pedersen is going to take $12 million. Then do you draw a hard line in the sand on Heronix number? Yeah, I guess so. I think the, the hard line in the sand on, on Heronix number has to still be, uh, at least on an average annual basis, $7.5 million. Do you go above 7.5 um, I, I don't, I don't see how you can. And that's the thing. Now, if you get Patterson signed to 11 Because even million, seven and a half, like coming into this year, that, that seemed high to me. Well, number one, I don't think you can pay him more than Quinn. Yeah. As long as Quinn has a few more years left on his contract. Like, I just don't think you can sign a player who's clearly not at Quinn's caliber yeah. to more than him. Like, who's benefiting from, from playing being, with Quinn from Hughes. From playing with Quinn Hughes. And I don't think you want to be that close either, to be honest. Like, I don't yeah. think it's like, okay, we'll give you 7.75. Yes. You know, I don't I don't think it's going to have to be, like, I think 7.725. I don't know if you go above 7.725. But again, like, the more you pay Pedersen, the more you have to be really aware of everything, everybody else you pay. Now, that's a guy you pay yeah. regardless. But in terms of these decisions, and even on Bo Horvat, there was a real hard number. Because if you're willing to pay Pedersen, and you know the type of player he's going to be, you have to be really careful with everything else. JT right now, with the way he's playing, looks like a steal at eight. Yes. Now, for how many years is that going to be the case? You know, it's year one of a seven-year extension. But right now, you're like, man, eight million for a guy who's playing like, like a ten million, eleven million dollar player, like fantastic. You're you're more than happy with it. But you can't pay a guy who's going to be earning maybe six million as an eight million dollar player. Yeah. You know, like if you have that, it's those are really, tough. Those, those are tough. So you got to be really careful with who you pay that much money to. And with JT, as he's showing, is like he can play, be a frontline player. Yeah. If you're paying Philip Ronick, is he a frontline D man without Quinn? Because that's what you're paying. If you're paying him seven and a half plus, we're talking about like you consider him like a front frontline guy. Yeah. As long as he's playing with Quinn, he's that guy. But prior to this, he'd shown to be more of a three four. Yeah, second pair defenseman, or I guess more of a three, but yeah. uh, you know, a guy that can lead your second pair, and that's more of a player that gets around the six million dollar range. A hundred percent. And somebody says you guys aren't factoring in the cap room. No, I am factoring in the cap. So next year, there's four million. There's going to be a, an extra four million in cap space or so. so. Doing the numbers, and if you allocate nineteen million to Pedersen and Hironic. Yeah, and kind of fill out the roster with some ELC guys. Like you know, give you bring you have Hoaglander here for for another year. Let's say you bring Niels Olman up, yep. and um, you know, guys like just fill out your roster with guys that make sense. Like Hito Hirose, for instance, they're going to have about roughly eight million to spend on two players, which isn't bad. It's not bad, but that's like in addition to what you have, right? Yes. So if you go above that, then you have even less money to spend the rest. So, so basically, to upgrade you, the roster, let's say you're like, okay, just just because the salary cap's going up, you can pay Heronic eight and a half. You yeah. can pay Patterson twelve and a half. You do that, that means you can sign one player this offseason yeah. to add to your team, and that's not counting. That's that's like saying replacing Carson Soucy. Yes. So how are you making your team better? I mean, sorry, uh, Ian Cole, yeah, and Teddy Bluger too. Like, how are you mm-hmm. replacing those guys, right? Or do you have internal guys coming up? The year afterwards, there's a bit more cap space, but don't forget. 
OEL's buyout comes against the books. So and it, yeah, it gets more expensive. The OEL buyout. The cap is going up, but there are other factors that are going to get in the Canucks way that you have to be still very careful with how much you spend. And with how ruthless this organization has shown to be with trading Bo Horvat in the past, I think it's essentially going to come down to, is this guy worth it or not, outside of our star players like Pedersen? Because those guys, you just have to get signed. Uh, we do have Justin Williams coming up, but I there's a couple more things I want to get in on, on Elias Pedersen. Um, right now, it makes a lot of sense for Pedersen to want to negotiate because he's leading the league in points. <laughs> uh, he's also battling an injury. So, you know, I feel like that can... Say to a player like, hey, yeah, you know, maybe we can lock in that security right now as I'm not feeling at my absolute best. But also the team is playing really well. Like all three of those factors make it easier to negotiate right now. But the biggest question still remaining on this is whether or not it's going to be an Austin Matthews type four or five year deal or the norm for a star player around the league you just give them the eight-year term for as much money as they're willing to take. I mean, I'd sign them to an eight-year deal now because I think for the next three or four years, as much as the cap is going up, like we mentioned, the Canucks are still going to be dealing with it. But yeah. once you get past year four or five, we're talking about if you get to year five of that deal, we are living in a different world. Yes. And I'm not worried about Pedersen at 33 or 34. Those types of players are going to be fine at that age. Yeah. Uh, a player of his caliber uh, ages tends to age well. Right. So you shouldn't be worried too much about that, barring, you know, unforeseen injuries that really hamper a player's ability to play into their early 30s. But a player of his caliber in his early 30s, not too worried about it. It, it still comes down to whether or not Pedersen is the one willing to take four to five, like willing to. T- I would say I would imagine the Canucks would have no problem going eight years on Elias Pedersen. It's more. How does the player feel about the situation when they choose to take four to five years instead of eight? Now, because he's going to be 34 when the deal is over, if you give him, let's say you offer him $100 million, yeah, that's $12.5 million per season. That's Somebody texted in that too. Yeah. I'm just saying for argument's sake, right? You throw a $100 million offer in front of him. Is he going to say no to that? <laughs> right? Because it's like, I'm going to be 34. So you can, you can think of it as, okay, let's say you sign a four-year deal. You get to yeah. 30. Then you sign another deal. But what if in the next CBA, you can't sign more than a six-year deal? Yeah. And even if the AAV goes up, I mean, let's say you sign for 15 million over that. Like, are you still making up? How much of that are you making up? Are you making, you might be making more, right? But are you making 20, 30 million more or five to 10 million more? And is that security worth foregoing an extra five or 10 million where you're making 100 or 95, for instance, right? So I think, I I do think a, a medium term deal could make sense. But I wouldn't, if the Canucks are willing to go high, you can't, you can't, it's very hard to say no to 95, hundred million. Let me yeah. just put it that way. And uh, you're buying out almost all UFA years. So I don't know how yeah. much even a four-year deal, the AAV would come down from what a, an eight-year deal might look like. It's Dan Riccio, Satyar Shaw. When we come back, Mr. Game 7, Justin Williams joins us on Canuck Central. Hitting the most important topics for Vancouver sports fans. The People's Show with Vic Nazar. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back into the 
Kintec Studio. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. Canucks and New York Islanders coming up tomorrow. I don't know why I said it like that. I don't know, man. Sometimes you just do. It's just reach, do, reach things. That's all it is. I'm surprised it wasn't Italian. Yeah, I was Sometimes waiting for it. It was the New York Italian, you know? But reach does good impersonations. This, I think it's just like natural for you. Yes. You watch something and then you'll repeat it. It's just kind I'm like of part a parrot of, a little yeah, bit. You know? kind of, yeah. I can just like repeat it Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> when I want to, in the accent I want to. Uh, all right, that's enough of that. Yes, Canucks and New York Islanders tomorrow. We'll get back in on that conversation. Ian McIntyre will join us coming up. In hour two of the program, uh, but joining us right now, it's uh, former NHLer. Uh, you might have heard of him before, Mister Game Seven, three-time Stanley Cup champion, now Sportsnet analyst. It is Justin Williams. Thanks for this, Justin. How are you? I'm good, fellas. How are you? Uh, we're we're doing well. How you how you liking being a Sportsnet analyst these days? <laughs> Everyone says welcome to the dark side, right? So I'm. I'm kind of figuring out what the heck that means. I don't really know what it means yet, but uh, it's definitely interesting and a different challenge, that's for sure. Well, we're, we're the guys that, uh, you know, all the boys in the room would be cussing at or cussing about usually when uh, when you were when you were playing, right? <laughs> no, listen, I, I never was. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Great, great when we were here in Raleigh, there wasn't as many uh, reporters and, and people following. Um <laughs> As, as other cities I was in, but uh, no, I, I, had, I had always had a great relationship with the media. Yeah, it's... I think anyway. Maybe they said stuff behind my back. I wasn't sure, but uh, yeah, you, you never know. Uh, it's uh, it kind of goes uh, both ways like that, but it's uh, it, it's good. And uh, you know, uh, we saw you on the on the Oilers broadcast last night uh, with uh, with Sportsnet Oilers getting getting back on track. It's kind of been a, a it's wild how quickly a season can kind of get turned into chaos mode, isn't it? It, it, yes, it is. It, it certainly is. It just goes with the stress of trying to build a team or, or trying to coach a team or trying to play on a team. There's, there's, there's equal levels of stress at every level, that's for sure. Yeah, and when you look at you know where Edmonton kind of finds itself, and obviously they're so far behind right now, but because they have Connor McDavid, they have Leon Dreisaitl, they obviously still have, have a chance to make the postseason. Did you see something in, in how they were playing before the coaching change that wasn't effective for the personnel they had, or what, do you think it was just a matter of things not going right for them? Uh, I, I don't know. I've I, I watched quite a few of their games, you know, especially now that, well, really I have to, or else I'll sound like a real idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm analyzing some games, but I, I watched some, and I, I really didn't feel they were playing that poorly. Yes, they, had, they have a lot of, of, of breakdowns defensively, um, and at the same time, when they do have those breakdowns, they're ending up in the back of the net every single time. And, um, that's frustrating, obviously, for players. And then stuff just gets start rolling the wrong direction. So, um, you know, they got some saves last night, which was great. Um, they put some pucks in the back of the net in the power play, which is obviously important for this team. Uh, and, you know, we'll see how it goes. But I really didn't think they were playing as poorly as getting five points in, in whatever, 12 games. Um, it was kind of somewhere in the middle. Uh, you, uh, you know, you obviously played with a number of different coaches. You won three cups. Uh, and anytime there's a coaching change, it's like, uh, oh, did the, the message get lost? And in Woodcroft's case, there was a lot of questions about, uh, you know, the, the defensive systems he was trying to change over the course of the summer. When, when something, when a change a coach makes like that, is it, and it doesn't work, it doesn't stick, does it kind of 
make it hard for the players to trust in uh, in you know what's being you know what they're trying to do on the ice, and then it starts to spill over into some of the the breakdowns that we saw for the Oilers. Sure, I mean I don't know. I mean I'm not privy to what you know system they're changing or what what you know especially yeah. they're trying to change the defensive zone. I have no idea, but I do know that when change uh, when you decide to make change, you can't be wishy-washy about it. You have to say, this is what we're doing. Uh, not like, oh, maybe we should go back. If you've committed to it, then you got to stick to it. And at the same time, it takes it takes time. Uh, you always see, you know, players coming to new teams. It's, it's it's the same system, but it's always a little different. And I think it's the same thing when a coach is changing uh, something about their system, the way they play, whatever it be. Um, it, it, it takes time, and it doesn't take four or five games. It'll take sometimes a quarter of a season to get accustomed to it, uh, to get everybody playing, um, and 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 similar to with with what's going on. And and you know, did Woodcroft have enough time to to do that? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, at the same time, you know, the move was moved. The move was made, and and they're moving on. You've been part of teams that obviously have had a lot of success uh, on a few different teams. And I was just thinking back when you were just talking about this and we we're talking about coaches changing for teams. And I remember back with the LA Kings, you guys had Terry Murray as a head coach. And for a couple of years, you guys made the playoffs. You were a young and up and coming team. And you had two uh, postseason appearances in a row. But then you guys made the change and went to Daryl Sutter. And the rest is history from that point. Is there something to be said about a coach that can take you to another level? Or is that stuff sometimes just overrated? Well, I don't think it's overrated. I mean, I, I don't think we win those Stanley Cups without Daryl Sutter. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's 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 just a simple statement. I think everybody would agree with. He just he gave us the shot in the arm that we needed, and, mm-hmm. and every team is different, right? Like I don't know what the Oilers need, um, but he was just Daryl Sutter. That you know, he was just kind of just gave us that little extra push over the edge. The 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 sometimes you need someone to just give you that extra shove to see how good you can be, to push yourself into being uncomfortable and, and, and being okay with it. And um, sometimes you need someone like that, that, uh, that eventually you can see how good you can be uh, and not just be satisfied with being okay. And he was able to get us to the next level. Well, you, you're just mentioning this just made me think about where the Canucks find themselves with Rick Tockett as the head coach. And they've had different coaches here through the years, and they haven't, haven't had a lot of success. But it seems like he's a guy that is pushing, is prodding, you know, thinks they can do more. And, and it seems like their seriousness has changed. Their practice habits have become a lot better. That could be a bit of an analogy we might be seeing in Vancouver right now. Yeah, no, listen, it could be. I, I'm, listen, I'm good friends with Talk, and he's he's got away with him, right? I mean, he's, he's you know, had some coaching jobs that haven't gone the way he wanted, and he's learned from them. And I just think he's real. He's, he's honest with players. If you're playing crappy, he's going to tell you. If you're playing great, he's probably going to tell you too. Um, and, you know, he's obviously got that team – you know, believing in what's going on. They're believing in each other. And, um, you know, the way talk played, I can't imagine it's much different than the way he coaches. Uh, you know, just hard on the sleeve. Uh, give it everything you got. Uh, and when you don't think you have any more, find a little more to give. Um, they're playing, obviously, uh, really well right now. Good start. I still haven't found somebody that doesn't like Rick Tockett. I mean, this guy's got an unbelievable reputation around the world of hockey. 
Oh, he's had to piss somebody, someone off at some point. Come on. <laughs> if we dig deep it up, we'll find some people. <laughs> at least some of the guys he punched in the mouth a few times during his career, for sure. Yeah, ask the guys on the panel with him last or something like that. I said or something. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, uh, JT Miller was uh, an opponent in the, the Stanley Cup final in, in 2014 when, when you were with the LA Kings. And, you know, he's a much younger player then, but what we've seen him develop into here in Vancouver is just like this all-out power forward that's doing, especially for the start of this year, he's doing everything at both ends of the rink. Uh, what do you make of JT Miller and the player he's become? Um, he's obviously a, a heck of a player this why they signed him long term um he just seems to right now just for some reason he seemed to have a little a little chip on his shoulder just a little a little bit more anger in his game than you're kind of used to seeing and um looks like kind of like a man on somewhat of a mission right now just just to um you know maybe it's the point in his career that he's really taken on the leadership role a little bit more um i don't know what it is but he's, he's playing phenomenal um, he's being physical. He's obviously creating a lot of offense, but it seems like he's being a really good leader for that team. It, it does seem like the added responsibility um, and having Rick Tockett being somebody who is challenging him to be more, he's certainly you know taking that on. And I mean, he is 30 years old and looks like he's finding a different level. Well, like we're seeing this more across the league now, guys hitting that age range, and it just seems like they find something else in their game to improve on. Yeah, no, it's good. I mean, at some point, you you have to have the realization that I'm not a kid anymore. I'm a veteran on this team. People are actually looking up to me and, you know, how do I want to be revered as? What what, what do I want people to uh, uh, live on with my legacy? Uh, what do they want the young players, how do I want them to, to view me 10 years from now? Like, And I think he's kind of at that point. And obviously the Canucks are, they've had a great start. Um, you know, I hope they continue to, to, to keep pushing because I think it's great for it's great for the league when they're good. Um, but, you know, I don't know where, where it ends, but they, they seem like a really good story in the NHL this year. Yeah, it's uh, they're they're off to a great start. I mean, here we're already starting to wonder if uh, we got to start doing the uh, scouting report on the LA Kings because it looks like uh, the way the playoff format is, it might be Vancouver and LA in a first round playoff series. The way the the hot starts have gone off to, but I mean uh, that that LA team, you know, led by Drew Doughty and LJ Kopitar, still they're uh, they're also pretty good right now. Yeah, I mean, look, you don't want to get too far ahead of yourself, right? I mean. Uh, as, as oh, we we're planning the parade already, Justin. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> as, as we mentioned in the start of the show, like things can go <laughs> in one direction and the other direction pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, but you know, they got listen. They got they got great leadership there. And, uh, I don't foresee that uh, being an issue. But uh, you do have to just kind of temper things right now. And you know, the team is doing well right now. But there's going to be a malaise. There's going to be going to be a point in the season where there's, they're going to lose three in a row mm-hmm. and you know you're going to be like what's going on but um you know the faster you can get out of it the, the, the better off you'll be but uh, as far as the LA Kings kind of answering your question it seems like they're kind of back to on top of their game and they're they've developed a name for themselves over the past couple of years and they're going to win now obviously as well um you know I don't know if Vancouver came in this year and said it's a win now right I mean obviously they wanted to win um and they're doing a, a great job of that. But um, teams are at different levels in their careers. And I think, obviously, with Dowdy and Kopitar and, um, you know, those guys there, they're still – their windows 
it's a little bit more closed. And they got a great team, but um, they're looking for a, a last run or two in them. Yeah, I, I'm kind of curious about that. Like from a from a player's perspective, we, we've seen the Canucks play with such intensity for these first 15 games of the year, but. You know, it can be difficult to maintain that for, for 82 games, especially through maybe the dog days of, of December and January. How, do, how does a player manage through the 82 games and getting yourself up for all uh, for all 82 or as many as you can? Well, I, I think the best thing I did um, when I was playing, I always reminded myself that if I'm not performing, someone can come in and take my job. And... I think that's the best deterrent is, is the fear of failure, the fear of, of, of not um, succeeding kind of drives you to keep pushing forward and keep pushing forward every game. And, um, I think if you have that attitude and not that attitude that I'm comfortable here, that, that I've made my mark and I've, I've done all I can, um, you always keep pushing and, and, and know that someone right behind you is looking to, looking to take your spot. And there's internal competition within the team, within your lines, within power play units um, that I think is really good for the team. And uh, I think that's something that's, uh, that's valued. And I'm sure that's something that, uh, that Rick Tockett is preaching. There are a lot of different ways to win, obviously, and, and locker rooms can be a lot different year to year, and a lot of different types of locker rooms can have success and win Stanley Cups. But one thing that you, that we often hear about, though, is that hyper-competitiveness. Did you find a thread, a common thread, in, in how competitive some of the best teams you were, you were on were internally? Yeah, it didn't matter what you were doing. During the game, uh, during practice, I mean, you're always trying to you're always trying to beat somebody. That's what the game's about, right? The yeah. game's about beating yeah. somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it doesn't matter if you're on a two-on-one. I remember doing two-on-ones with Drew Doughty, and he was so excited <laughs> if he broke up a two-on-one pass. Uh, you know, he'd be hooting and hollering, and then you'd get pissed off, then you'd try and beat him the next time. And that stuff is good. You know, that type of internal drive, that type of, uh, you know, I don't care what we're playing, I still want to beat you, uh, that's in the greats. And... Um, you know, I think you've got certainly someone in, in, in Vancouver who's kind of trying to get to that status, and Elias Patterson, and he's playing great this year. Uh, before we let you go, uh, are, are you a little jealous that Carolina is now pulling out the Hartford Whalers and Cooperall uh, look for this season, not when you were playing? Uh, well, we, we had the Whalers jerseys when I was playing. Obviously, maybe the Cooperall for warm-up. But there's, <laughs> I don't think there's any other way you could actually play in Cooperall. Well, you get hurt. <laughs> I mean, I, I've never played in them, but I can't see those being uh, very uh, safe out there. Yeah, not not with the way guys are uh, blocking shots these days, right? No, jeez, no. You'd be <laughs> sliding all over. It's like snow pants. <laughs> hey, Justin, it's been uh, it's been great to catch up with you. Uh, glad you're on Sportsnet team right now. Thanks for this. Uh, yeah, pleasure. Thanks, guys. There is uh, Justin Williams, Mr. Game 7, joining us uh here on uh, Canucks Central. Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Uh, Benny from the Mox. Dog days thing doesn't work for the winter. Uh, so you can't say the dog days of winter? during The the, the dog days of the hockey season? Yeah, Is that better? I think the dog days, they uh, they refer to like the heat too and the long days and all that. Right. I think. So it's only good for baseball season. I suppose. It's like, I mean, listen, we live in a new age, all right? <laughs> Dogs can have all kinds of days. Yeah. Dogs, dogs can have all kinds of days, says Cat Guy. Cat Guy, Josh. You know what? Let's call it the Cat Days of the cat, Hockey cat Season. Cat Days of the Hockey Season. The Cat Days of the Hockey <laughs> Season. Cat day. Why not? We don't discriminate.
We can use cats. Although I, I I'm partial to dogs over cats. <laughs> and you but know like, what? We why, still why get along. It's fine. Well, you're more of a cat guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, well I just have cats. <laughs> but you're not a cat guy. No, I am a cat guy. <laughs> I have. He, it wasn't cat. It was cats. Yes. Plural. Can you be a cat person and not like like have cats and not be a cat person? I, uh, I mean, like you could. There are ways. I think. <laughs> Do you have loving cats or the type of cats that try to kill you when you sleep? Uh, one of them is just the worst. <laughs> the other one, though, the other one's great. So one of them just like likes my fian- my fiance more than me. Uh-huh. The other one likes me more. So okay. we're tight. But the other one, like the other like, one, just jerk. like it would, like will scratch you and like <laughs> not scratch me, but you'll you like you'll be like scratching at cabinets and stuff trying to get in. Oh, no. Um, and the vet's like, no, he's just smart. And I'm like, well, he's also maybe just the worst. Now. He's also, like, <laughs> ruining my cabinets. <laughs> yeah, it's awful. Uh, Dan Richo and Satyar Shot is uh, Canucks Central. And um, lots to get into on the uh, on the Bo Horvat conversation. Ian McIntyre is going to join us. Some interesting stuff there with, with Justin Williams. Obviously won three cups and played with a lot of different teams, but Yet another player or a person in the hockey world that doesn't have a bad thing to say about Rick Tockett right now. And, and there's a lot of themes that uh, Justin talked about with teams that he won with that seem to be happening, developing with the Vancouver Canucks. Mm-hmm. Talent is key, but it, it's kind of hard to not notice sort of the cultural change and the way of going about their business, this group of players has, has certainly uh, changed into. Yeah, it, there's been a transformation, it looks like, at the very least, right yeah. now, and where they are far more serious. And it was interesting listening to Justin talk about the competitiveness, and he referenced a guy like Pedersen who's striving to be one of the best players. And we've heard the coach, Rick Tockett, speak about practice habits being a lot better. It's more competitive. And do we start seeing them embrace that a bit more? Like, it's such a long season, and, you know, we are going to see some ups and downs. Like, I I still think it's inevitable. You know, I mentioned this before, but it it bears repeating. Last year, the Vegas Golden Knights had a stretch where they went uh, 2-8-2, during the season. You're going to have spells. I was a Vegas Golden Knights. Went went to win a Stanley Cup. They bounced back and won five in a row after that 10-game stretch. It's how you respond to those types of things. And also, just in general... Are you able to keep the level of intensity high? They haven't had it in every game. We saw it in the Ottawa game. We saw them lose it after the first period against Toronto, but a good response against Montreal. Is that something as the season goes on that's going to be part of their identity where they're competitive enough and they're driven enough that they're going to keep responding to those things and make sure they keep those standards high? And it looks promising right now. It's how do you maintain it? Um, I was just looking at the Bruins and and their... Your last year sat. Even the Bruins, who ended up with 65 victories, they had one stretch where they lost three and four, and another stretch where they lost four and five. Yeah, there you go. It's basically W's and green everywhere else on yeah. their uh, on their look back to last year. And the Bruins this year, uh, not much different, uh, as uh, they are the best team in the National Hockey League uh, so far, just behind uh, one point behind the Vegas Golden Knights. It's Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. All right, more coming up on your Vancouver Canucks next with Ian McIntyre on Sportsnet 650.